So today, we continue our sermon series on the life of Peter, from shifting sand to solid rock. And the title of today's message is The Rebuke. Uh, I don't really like to be corrected very much. Uh, I don't like to be rebuked. I, I, I kind of have a feel that the, even the word rebuke seems kind of negative. Does it seem that way to you? Kind of a ne- uh, Correction sounds more positive to me than rebuke, but they're virtually the same thing. And, and, and I remember a time in my life when I got a, a rebuke, and it was meant to be a help, a correction, but I, I, I just took it very personally, and I was very embarrassed and everything. And it, it had to do with the very first time that I visited my girlfriend's family. And it was about three and a half hours away from where I lived, so I was going to be staying at her home. And in this home, there were all girls. And I grew up in a family of mostly boys. I had one teacher, or one, one sister, but we didn't really, you know, even think of her as a girl or anything in our family. <laughs> and, and so we're there, and this uh, rebuke, it happened at the dinner table. So we're all sitting around, and, and it had to do with leaving the lid up, okay? And I, I know a lot of marriage, marriages have had struggled through this whole idea of the lid up or the lid down, and that, that was the, the nature of this time. And, and uh, I know it was, it was shared uh, humorously and fun, but I just, oh, I, I, was, I was so embarrassed because here I am with all these girls trying to make a good impression and all that, and, 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 and I felt that, and, and it's just, it stuck with me, you know. So I, I want you to know it, it, I've made some corrections and it's it, it's really been good. Okay, fifty years ago that happened and it's still kind of tender. <laughs> and you know it it, it is funny, uh, but also it was beneficial. We, and, and the idea of having a rebuke it's meant for our good. And there has to be a lot of ways that it's delivered and received for it to do good for us. Well, I want you to know that in our passage today, in the life of Peter, we're going to be looking at two different rebukes that happen. And so this is Matthew chapter 16. And what's happened before this is there's there's been actually several things that have gone on at this place called Caesarea Philippi where Jesus has gone to be with his disciples. And it is in this time when he asks them, well, who am I? And Peter makes that proclamation. Peter, way to go, good job. Uh, Peter, Peter's actually blessed by Jesus for the answer that he gives of who Jesus is. Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one of God. And uh, so he recognizes who Jesus is. Uh, today, we look at what Jesus came to do. But one of the other things is, why did Jesus come to do it? And that was because he loves us. He builds his community, the church, on the foundation of love. And so we we look at this today from the perspective of Peter, and I don't know if you've ever been rebuked. Uh, maybe you had lid issues yourself. But at some point, we're going to be corrected. And we, for me, I I enjoy correcting others more than being corrected myself. 
Okay, I don't know if you're that way at all. I, I see some heads nodding, and, and so I, I think that's probably true. But Jesus has come to this point, this place, with just his disciples. Because he's going to be turning over the ministry of the gospel to these disciples, who in turn are going to entrust this to others, who are going to entrust it to others, and it's going to go on through history until it comes down to today. And you have been entrusted with this truth. Jesus had to make sure these 12 guys, we know as the disciples, he had to make sure they got it right because this was God's plan. And so we've come to know who, who Jesus is. We know why Jesus came. And today we look at what he came to do. So this is uh, Matthew 16, beginning at verse 21. From then on, meaning that something took place at Caesarea Philippi that's different. They know who Jesus really is now, for sure. And so from now on, Jesus begins to tell his disciples, and the word there is plainly. You know, a lot of times Jesus talked in parables or he, he gave symbolic teaching. Now he is laying it out for them, plainly. And here's what he says. It will be necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, that he would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, when you, when you think about all of this, you have to remember that Jesus did not come to set up an earthly kingdom. The disciples still have that thought. They, they have to get over that. We have to get over that. Jesus is not about making an earthly kingdom here in this world. His is an eternal kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. And you know, I'm amazed at how often we try to make things better uh, governmentally, legislatively, whatever. We're, we're trying to make heaven on earth. Well, that's not Jesus' plan. So, so stop it. Don't do that. Uh, he didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. Don't you try to set up the kingdom of God here. Uh, Jesus does reveal who he is, and that's a very important part, and why he came for love. But what he has to do, um, Jesus is now making that clear. He, he came to forgive our sins, and in order to do that, it was necessary for him to die. Now, we come to verse 22. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Uh, you probably have a different uh, a, a version. Um, this word reprimand in many of the other versions is simply the word rebuke. And Peter is rebuking or reprimanding Jesus for saying these things. He says, heaven forbid. Isn't that interesting? Heaven forbid. Well, heaven's making this happen. And, and Peter says, heaven forbid. Peter does not have the mind of God on this. And, and he says, this will never happen to you. I mean, he's like, I got this sword here. I'm going to make sure it never happens to you. I'm going to do it by force. Well, the kingdom of God does not happen by force in anyone's life. It has to be a voluntary entered into with 
with grace and peace. So know here that there's actually two rebukes that take place in this passage. This is the first one, uh, and this belongs to Peter, who took Jesus aside and, and rebuked him. Can, can you imagine that? I mean, he's just discovered who Jesus is, and now he's correcting him, he's rebuking him. I, I thought, man, Peter has gumption. I admire his gumption. It's misguided, it's wrong thinking, but, but, but he sure is trying. Then Jesus turns to Peter, this is verse 23, and he says, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. I have a picture here that this is a, one of the recent movies about the life of Christ shows the, this group of disciples at Caesarea Philippi, and they're all kind of standing around each other. You know what? If I'm going to be rebuked, I want it in private. I just, you know, if I do the rebuking, I, you know, I, I wish I would remember always to do it in private because that's the way I want it, but it doesn't indicate that here. Um, Jesus is telling Peter this, and all the other disciples perhaps are right there. That's all who's there at Caesarea Philippi is the 12 disciples and Jesus. And, and so here Jesus rebukes Peter, and he, and he calls him a devil and a trap, like you're a temptation to me. And this is just, just like um, saying you are a stumbling block. Literally, that's what Jesus is saying. And remember that we are to be living building blocks of the kingdom of God. Peter's to be that rock, but now he's, instead of being a building block, he's becoming a stumbling block. Uh, Peter the stone, he'd just been blessed by Jesus, and, and now he's a stumbling block who is anything but a blessing to Jesus. I mean, Peter is saying the same thing that Satan said when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Read about it in Matthew 4. And Satan is going to just give Jesus all these things without having to suffer, without having to die. And, and you know, you don't have to do that, but guess what? That was not God's plan. We know from God's word that Jesus' true identity is as the Son of God and that it is so easy for us to limit His impact in our lives when we are preoccupied with earthly goals rather than the heavenly perspective. So it, it is, it's so natural for us and, and comfortable for us to set our minds on human comfort and our own personal security, our, our success, our prosperity, that we forget our divine call to service and to sacrifice. Do you know there are even churches today, you probably should find one of these. Um, no, don't. I was just, where, where you go and, and they're, they're telling you you're just going to have everything. Um, as a matter of fact, I heard of one church that when you gave your, your check, your tithe, your offering, what you should do is write on the memo what you want God to do for you, and you'll get it. And, you know, new car, uh, swimming pool, whatever, those kind of things. And, and I thought, well, that doesn't seem right. That's not what Christ came to do, to give you a swimming pool or a new car. 
I mean, any of those things come our way, great, it's a blessing. Use it for God's glory. But, but there's an element of sacrifice and of service that we under, need to understand. You see, God's plan includes suffering and death of the Messiah. And Jesus is going to fulfill that mission. And he's going to do it exactly as, as needed. Did he want to do that? I don't think so. But was he willing to do it because he loves us? Yes, he was. So we see here in five verses, Peter goes from being a rock to being a stumbling block. So what was his mistake? How did he go so wrong? And maybe that helps us. How do we go wrong? Here's what Jesus said next. You are seeing things merely or simply from a human point of view, not from God's. Well, how about us? Is it easy for us to see things from God's point of view? Not so easy. Is it easy for us to see it from a human point of view? Do we gravitate to that? We, you know, a lot of times people go through the Christian life from a human point of view instead of seeing it from God's point of view. They do their best, humanly speaking, to be the best Christian they can be. Well, the problem is that's a human perspective. And God, he needs us to see it from his perspective. Peter starts to see that when he makes that proclamation, you are the Christ, you're, you're the Messiah. But then he kind of slips back and becomes a stumbling block. Because he was thinking like a man. And most of us want to escape suffering and death. Nothing wrong with, with that idea, except that it wasn't God's plan. God had a bigger idea. And, you know, it, Peter did not have what God had in mind. And, and so where do we find the mind of God? Where do we see our direction. Do, do you remember when, years ago, we used to have those little bracelets that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And you were to put that on, and anytime you had a decision at all, you would think, oh, what would Jesus do? And, and I like that. I think that's a great thought, but it has to also go with a prayer of, Lord, show me what Jesus would do. Because if, if we're just trying to do what Jesus would do from our own human thinking, then we're going to just do what's humanly best, not what's perhaps divine. And, and so how do we find the mind of Christ? It can't just be our effort, our trying. We certainly do see it in his word, the Bible, we see it in Christ being the living word alive in us. We see it through the Holy Spirit directing us. And, and we see it in fellowship that we get together and we talk about these things. And we rebuke each other a little bit along the way, correct one another. Um, so where do you find the mind of God? Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If... Any of you wants to be my follower. Now, let's stop right there. Do you see that word, if? There is personal choice involved. 
you have to choose. Uh, a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do the things I know to do. But Jesus says it, it's got to be more. If you really want to be my follower, you have to make a choice, but look at what the choice involves. Okay, the next thing Jesus says, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to follow me. And, and sometimes we say, oh yeah, I want to follow you, but we don't follow him. What does it mean to follow him? Deny yourself and take up your cross. So look at the next verse, verse 25. Jesus even gets a little more clear on this. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But here's that word, if, again. If you choose to give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So Jesus is presenting here for us two approaches to life. And if you're taking notes today, you can see these. The first list is the Christ-like thinking that Christ, Jesus would like us to have. And the second list is human thinking. And, and nothing wrong with human thinking. It just has a certain level and it can't go any higher than that. Do you know if, if, if people are good human beings, if, if they sacrifice for themselves, if, if they think of others more than themselves, if they get the highest level of human thinking, do you know what we do? We award them. They get prizes, the Nobel Prize. If they do something great, human thinking, we award them. But even the best human thinking does not reach close to godly thinking. And so Christ-like thinking, and that's what Jesus expects and demands from his followers. So let's take a look. We'll break these things down. If you're taking notes today, you'll want to fill some things in. And I know that some of you like to fill these slots in before I get there. And I think you could do quite well today if you try to do that. Um, but um, follow along. Here we go. Um, Christ-like thinking versus human thinking. So the first thing that Jesus says is if you're going to have Christ-like thinking, if you're going to follow me, is to deny yourself. This idea of denying yourself. Now, the first thing that we might think of is material things, that we need to set aside material things. Well, that certainly could be part of it, but it really is your purpose in life, your, your desires, your hopes. You, you set those, humanly speaking, aside and desire the things Christ would have for you. Because human thinking here is living for yourself. So the contrast is, am I going to live for myself or am I going to deny myself and live for God? The, way, the next thing that we do to do that is we have to take up your cross. Now, what Jesus is saying here is you have to die to yourself to take up your cross. You have a burden to bear. Jesus carried his cross to the place of crucifixion and died on that cross to forgive our sins. Now, the opposite of this is to just ignore the cross. And this means to ignore the meaning of the cross. I know people who are not Christians at all, but they'll wear some jewelry. They'll wear a cross. And sometimes, just being who I am, I'll ask them, well, what does that cross mean to you? Oh, this is very special. My grandmother gave me this cross. 
So it's a, it's a special piece of jewelry. But they're missing the point of the cross, the meaning of the cross, that Christ died on the cross, and that he has a, a cross for us to bear. That there are some things in our lives that we need to set aside. We need to literally put to death. And we need to take up his cross, or take up our cross, our assignment, the burden that he has for us to bear. And then he says, to follow me. He says that, if you want to follow me, follow me. So we have to follow Christ. What does that look like? Well, the, the opposite that Jesus reveals to us is to follow the world. And I'm just amazed how often the things that the world does, we try to emulate, we try to do. As a matter of fact, there's a whole new realm, and I am not part of this, so even my speaking now will be somewhat limited. But there are people who are called social media influencers. And, and you can go online and find these influencers. And what are they influencing you to do? Well, it's mostly just to buy stuff. They make a lot of money from advertising on these blogs. And, and they'll tell you how to do things. There are so many how-to uh, illustrations of, of how to live and how to do it better and, and, and the whole how-to books and, and how-to influencers. Uh, I don't even want to you know say anything wrong about this, but Pinterest. Pinterest will tell you so many things, how to do things. And there's nothing wrong with most of these things, right? Nothing wrong with that. Learning how to, to, to make stitches without poking your finger. I, I saw that, that this last week. It just popped up, you know. And um, there are these things. So are we going to follow the world? Are we going to find the best things of the world and try to put them into our lives? Not that there's anything wrong with that. But even the best person at doing that is not following Christ at all. If we are following Christ from our human perspective, we're not really following Christ. He says, if you're going to follow me, what do you got to do? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And you got you to quit following the things of the world. The next thing Jesus says is you have to lose your life. That you give up the things of your life for his sake. So you're not doing this just to sacrifice. You're doing it to get closer to God. You're becoming more like Christ by concentrating on the things of his life. You do it for his purposes. The contrast of human thinking is to save your life for your own sake. Living life to the full. You only come around once, you got to live it with gusto, all that kind of stuff. Saving your life for your own sake or living for Christ. And that's a contrast. He says, if you're going to know and who I am, what I came to do and why I came to do it, these are the ways to learn that, to put these things into practice in your life. The next thing he says is to forsake the world. Like, now it's not just not following the world, but it's forsaking the world. He says you have to give up the importance of the world's things 
And the contrast that he says that humanly thinking is to gain the world. A lot of times, if someone has a lot of value in the world, they have a lot of fame, they have a lot of money, they have, uh, they're good looking or they're talented athletically, that is gaining the world, everything that the world has to gain. And you know what? They take these people and make them spokesmen. Uh, they sell stuff with commercials. I, I, I'm just amazed every time I hear uh, like an athlete give a political opinion because I am not at all interested in an athlete's political opinion. I'm interested in how well they can perform on the field. I don't want to hear about their thoughts off the field. Just because they've gained a certain notoriety in the world doesn't mean they know more than anyone else about other areas of life. There are experts in so many different areas of life. We need to become experts, and that needs to be an expert in our spiritual life. We need to be experts in Jesus, not to just know about him, but to know him. And we have to, to get rid of our worldly desires and forsake the world in order to earn and receive and be a part of the kingdom of God. Very important here because the next thing Jesus says, if you do this, you will keep your soul. And the way you keep your soul is by putting it in God's hands. He says with human thinking, you will lose your soul. A lot of people are doing the best they can and they feel like, well, I'm just going to do everything I can to, to be the best person. And they think, I'll earn heaven by doing that. The only way we earn heaven, we can't earn heaven. The only way we achieve heaven is by putting our souls into God's hands. If you're doing it for your own self, if you're doing your own thoughts about what's best, then you're not doing what God's think is, is best. And, and your soul belongs to him. By the way, your life will end and then new life. Uh, a life with your soul, your eternal soul goes on forever. So you want to make sure God has your soul. And the next thing he says is, this is the benefit of all of this. With Christ-like thinking and following Christ, you will share in his reward and you'll share in his glory. Christ is honored in heaven and on earth too. And we get to share in that reward. That means human thinking, we lose his reward and we lose his glory. And let me give you an illustration of this. Jesus said, if you do something good for another person, just keep it to yourself. Uh, the problem is, when I do something good for another person, I want credit. So I have to, you know, slyly let people know what I did so that I can get credit. Well, that's earthly credit. No heavenly value. I mean, it's a good thing for the other person, all that kind of stuff, but there's no reward in that. And, and so that's the kind of thinking that we need to understand. That's human thinking. When we do things, do it for the glory of God. And his reward and his glory will come to us. So Jesus presents these two approaches to life. Now, let me tell you a danger here. If we do the very best human thinking, the best human way possible to be a Christ follower, 
we're not going to truly achieve being a, a Christian. To be a Christian, we have to do it Christ's way, not the human way. And so that's a problem. So, so, so every once in a while, we need a little correction. We need a little rebuke. Now, I want to share with you uh, one more verse, and it's on your bottom of your notes there. It's Proverbs 15, 31. It says this, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home amongst the wise. Just paying attention, listening to correction will place us in a better standing where God wants us to be. So I, I, I looked through the Bible at, at all the different passages that use this, this idea of what it means to correct or to rebuke someone and to be rebuked. Uh, one that is really challenging to me because I'm a pastor is something that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a young preacher. And this is 2 Timothy 4.2. I don't have this in your notes, but if just, so just listen to this, what the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy. He said, preach the word of God. And, and I thought, wow, even the word preach has a little bit of a kind of a rebuke connotation to it. You think about this, when, when, when somebody is talking to you about how you ought to do your life and, and they're telling you some instructions and, and maybe you're not very happy to, to, to receive that, you might say, why are you preaching at me? Because we have this feel that, that there ought to be a certain amount of preaching, rebuking, correcting in all of that. So what, what, does, what does Paul say to Timothy? Preach the word. But he's saying, preach the word of God. Make sure that what you're sharing is that God is in agreement with that. It's, it's what God wants. Now, let me tell you, in our church, we preach the word of God. We have Bible studies. We teach on the word of God. It is Bible-based, everything that we do. If you hear something that is not from the word of God or you question that, you're free to come and, and talk to me about that. I sometimes need correcting. I need to practice what I preach. And, and so those are good things. We're supposed to do that for one another. And by the way, we're supposed to do it in a loving way, a kind way. Here he goes on. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Sometimes we have to correct people when it's not a favorable moment. Those are difficult. But he says, patiently correct, and there it is, the word rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So what, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, you're going to have to rebuke your people, correct your people at times. Do it in a loving way. Be an encouragement to them and make sure it's Bible-based teaching. Here's another one. This is Luke 17.3. It says, so watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. And then if there is repentance, forgive. You, you see, we are supposed to watch out for each other. Watch ourselves and watch other people. And if there is some sin, we are to correct that. Now, you, you better have a relationship with this other person because if you just go out there and start correcting everybody, they're probably not going to receive that very well. But let me tell you, if you're in a relationship with someone and you're part of a Bible study group or at the same church 
and, and you see a serious flaw going on, you need to speak to that person. To not speak to them is to not do the will of God. So we are to, to watch yourselves, ourselves, and, and to watch out for each other. But notice the end of this one. Repentance and forgiveness. That's the hope of correction. That's the hope of rebuke. So if you're doing rebuking somebody for your own benefit, human thinking, no value. But if you're doing it for God's instruction and the benefit of that person to get closer to God, great value in that. Another one is Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. The idea is that God loves us and he would correct us and discipline us for greater benefit to ourselves and to the kingdom. All right, Proverbs. I like Proverbs because some of the uh, little quips in, in Proverbs, they have these little zingers and they're, and they're kind of humorous to me and, and, and I love that. L listen to this one. This is Proverbs 17.10. A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. And I thought about that. A hundred lashes on the back of a fool? That, that's given to help someone? To correct them? Wow, I, I, I want to have the, the single rebuke, not the hundred lashes, okay? But, you know, a lot of times we, we need to discipline. Uh, we need to teach each other how to behave. Not with just our human understanding, but with what the Bible teaches, the principles of God, because that helps a person. Now, now notice here, this is a person who wants to know and grow in Christ. It's a person of understanding. So we, we need to seek to understand the truth of God. One more Proverbs. This is Proverbs 27.5. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. The idea that, that when you love someone, you'll tell them the truth. And you'll tell them the truth in love. And that you'll be seeking God's perspective, not just your own. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home amongst the wise. So I have two things for you today to go home with, to think about. One is if you receive a rebuke, try to be a person of understanding. Why is that coming to you? What I have found is that a lot of times, if, if I get some correction, I don't like being corrected very much. It's hard for me. But I've, I, I've gotten to the place where if, if a Christian person says something to me, I think, okay, there's some value in here. God, you have got something in this for me. Um, now, I kind of got on top of that one, and, and I could understand, you know, even if somebody didn't do it in quite the right way or at the right time, I would still would try, try to receive that truth, all right? But guess what? Then God brings somebody along who is an enemy, somebody I don't like, and they correct me. I don't like getting correction from someone like that. And yet, now I'm beginning to learn that there's value even in those corrections. 
that God can use even non-believers to help us try to get closer to him and to understand the truth. And so I would just say to you, be open to correction. So if some correction comes down, let me me tell you one of the ways that, that correction happens. When you're driving, sometimes people will give you a hand sign of some kind, okay? And, and so I have to stop now and say, well, you dirty so-and-so. No, I, don't, I, I can't do that. What I need to do is go, oh, man, what did I do to deserve this? And if I, maybe I didn't deserve it, but what correction do I need? Am I open to rebuke? I want to know that every time I'm rebuked, that there's something that God can do in that rebuke to make me more like him, even if it comes from an ungodly person. And the second part of this is to be a person who will share with other people when they need a rebuke. Uh, This is a caution that it's better when you have a relationship with someone, when you share with them the correction or the rebuke, um, knowing for them to know that you love them and care about them and, and want God's best. And especially when you say, well, the Bible says, or what I learned in, in my Bible study, and, or this is true in my life, and I just want to share it with you. If we can share a correction and do it in a loving and kind way, that will benefit another person, especially if they're going down the wrong path. Now, is this the wrong path that you think they're going the wrong path? There might be some value there. But if you truly believe they are going against God's direction for their life, that's a different story. That's not human thinking. That's that's Christ-like thinking. And we ought to be willing to then in, to step up and to correct someone. Now, n- now, let me tell you how this has happened. Um, somebody comes into a meeting and, and their zipper's down. You correct them. Are they glad to get that correction? I hope so. Uh, yeah. There was a situation where a guy came in and had toilet paper c- coming stuck in their waistband. Do they want to receive that correction? Yeah, it's not always that easy. Okay, uh, a friend of ours was at a mall and had used the restroom and came out and had inadvertently tucked her skirt into the waistband, and so she came out and all of a sudden, woo, you know, and this lady who she doesn't even know came up and rebuked her. She said, "Oh dear, you got," and it, so you quietly said this, and I'm thinking. How many people would just walk by and not say anything? Maybe point it out and laugh. We need to be people who will step up. And sometimes it's pretty serious stuff. But if you love someone, you will tell them the truth. And you'll make sure it's not just your truth, but that it's God's truth. So be willing to receive correction and be willing to give it. The word is rebuke, and it's what God has for us who are his followers. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us 
to be the kind of people that you desire for us to be, to, to set aside our human thinking and to seek godly thinking, to, to seek your word, to be in church, to be in Bible studies, and to seek truth, and then to be willing to share that with others in a loving and kind way. All, all of this for the benefit of your kingdom and your glory. Have your way in us, Jesus. Amen.